Welcome back everyone to another episode of Psycho Cinematic. Today we are covering the movie Barbarian directed by Zach Kreger and as always, spoilers ahead. Firstly, when I was in the movie theater and they were playing the ads before the previews even start, they played an ad for Verbo. And if you don't know what that is, it's like Airbnb, but their whole selling point of that commercial was that you always get the house completely to yourself and you don't have any weirdos at the dinner table, stuff like that. That's hilarious. I mean, talk about great marketing for this movie, which is all about a mishap at an Airbnb. Also, a few episodes ago, I covered the movie The Rental and I literally titled my YouTube video, The Rental is an Airbnb Nightmare. And you know what? I was wrong. This movie is the Airbnb nightmare. All right, so this movie starts off with Tess showing up to her Airbnb and there's a complication because someone's already staying in there because they booked it through a different booking app and they're both supposed to be staying there. And so you're immediately suspicious of the man who is there. And before we go any further, that man is played by the same actor who played Pennywise in It. And if you knew that already or if you didn't and that blew your mind, what about this one? His brother is the guy who plays the main character in The Northman. Yeah, that super tall and jacked dude. That's his brother. That's a tall and talented family. Now, immediately, I was surprised that they even name dropped Airbnb and HomeAway. I've never even heard of HomeAway, but Airbnb for sure. I was just surprised that they could do that without getting in trouble. So we also get our very first foreshadowing in the very beginning of the movie, as well as during the title sequence, when you can hear wailing that sounds like it's coming from down below because people are getting trapped and murdered down below. I've got to say, this movie does such a great job at making you believe that the movie is going to go the way you think it is. But then they go the complete opposite direction. They make you believe that Keith has malicious intent with Tess. As I was watching this, you know, I started wondering if maybe he wasn't actually going to be the bad guy, but I was like, this is the actor who played Pennywise. We know he is capable of playing a super creepy character. And it almost seems like if you don't use him for that, you're squandering the opportunity. But I think it's great casting because not only is he a great actor, but that throws us off the trail. Also, he invites her in and doesn't address the elephant in the room of the fact that she might be sketched out to be around him until he's trying to open up the bottle of wine, which in my opinion took way too long for him to address. He also is trying to make her tea, so you're expecting her to get drugged or something like that. He also goes out to the car for her to retrieve her things so that she can stay the night. And when I saw that, I was like, oh my gosh, he totally fucked with her car. She's got flat tires or I don't know, cut brake lines, something like her car doesn't run anymore and, and she's not going to be able to escape. And as their night continued on, I wrote down in my notes that I was hoping that he wasn't going to be the bad guy because that would be a great twist because everything they were showing us in that moment was that he was going to be the bad guy. Later in their night, Tess starts talking about how if the roles were reversed, she would not have let him in. And I'm just like, how is it safer for you to not let him in, but you to come in while he's already been at this house? He knows the floor plan or he's actually the owner of the house and you're just walking into the lion's den. My wife said, and I do agree, that that was the most unrealistic part of this movie was the fact that she even came into the house from the get-go. She still has options. Yeah, sure, you're in a bad neighborhood and you can't find a hotel, 
but you have a car, you could drive to somewhere safer or a public place, something like that. You don't need to stay right there with a stranger in the rain in a place you've never been. When they're getting the duvet ready for her to sleep in the bed, it's funny because Keith has got the sheet over his head like a ghost, and I felt like that was them trying to allude to the fact that he's a bad guy, but really, maybe they were alluding to that he's going to die in the house, and therefore he is going to become a ghost. Now, the next morning, we finally see what the neighborhood looks like, and oh my God, that place is just absolutely destroyed. It's really funny because that is often how booking an Airbnb goes. You can do all the research you want about the neighborhood, but it could still look bad. You'll, you'll see mixed reviews online about the neighborhood. You think it's fine. You could get blinded by how nice it looks inside the Airbnb, and then you show up and there's just drug deals going on, broken glass, graffiti. It's a dark part of town that no one even goes to, the locals steer clear. That's happened to me and my friends a time or two. Again, this movie is doing a great job at making you believe that it's going to go one way when it's not actually going to. So she's in Detroit to get an interview to work for this documentary and she's talking about the director and Keith just happens to know this obscure director. So in my head, I'm thinking, all right, he probably has done his research on her or he works for the documentary. Somehow it's going to tie into this house. He's set up some elaborate way of getting her there so that he can basically have his way with her. And now that I think about it, it seems to get even more affirmed when we see the camera that's in the basement pointed at the bed. This movie also keeps giving Tess really good reasons to not leave the house starting the next day when that crazy person chases her inside the house who may or may not have been the guy that saves them by the water tower later. It sucks when you see these movies in theaters because you can't rewind it to double check that that was the same person. I had a feeling this person might actually just be trying to save her from the house. So she needs toilet paper, which is the most Airbnb thing ever. The amount of times I've checked into an Airbnb and they have one roll, two rolls, no rolls, and there's multiple people staying there for multiple days, you cannot have five people staying there for a week and give them either no toilet paper or two rolls, whatever. It is messed up. And that leads me to my joke moral of the story. The thing that would have just ended the movie right here, pack your own toilet paper. <laughs> that way you don't go into the basement, get locked down there, and just keep going through this house of horrors and this dungeon that's below this Airbnb. Ugh. Pack your own toilet paper, or better yet, a bidet. Now when Tess finds that hidden door in the basement, I thought it was super creative and clever for her to grab the mirror and reflect the light down the way. That was brilliant. And then again, this movie's making you believe that Keith is in on it because he gets home and he wants to see exactly what she saw instead of just running out with her. Just take her at her word and save yourself. No, he wants to see it all for himself and then he disappears and you can hear him screaming and you just think, oh my God, he's luring her deeper down there. That's what he's doing. As Tess descends more into this dungeon under the house, we start to get the ramp up of one of the most insane moments in a horror movie that I think I've ever seen. So shocking. We see Keith crawling on the ground. He's saying something bit him and he doesn't want to go back that way. And then the figure of this woman who looks like a freaking mutant comes and just grabs his head and smashes it up against the wall. She's not even attacking Tess. She's beating the shit out of Keith's head and she's naked. It was super disturbing. And then it just cuts the black screen. And then we're over in the beach and there's good music. And then Justin Long, who plays AJ, 
And the face that I was making for about 20 or 30 seconds after that of just utter shock and disbelief and bewilderment was probably so priceless to see. So they introduce AJ. And I love the writing for AJ because you go through waves of rooting for him and not rooting for him. You're rooting for him because he's got this rape allegation against him that sounds false, but then he gets drunk and spills the beans to his friend that, yeah, I kind of did it kind of thing. And then you're not rooting for him. And then he gets trapped in the dungeon. And then you're rooting for him again. And then he fucks over Tess. And then you're not rooting for him. And it's just this wave going through. I love that. Also, AJ's character, even though he's a piece of shit, was a nice bit of comedic relief when he thinks he's going into the basement to take care of squatters. That's so funny. And then when he finds all the extra space under his house, immediately going to Google whether or not he can add it to the square footage of his home instead of being creeped out or looking for the people who left all their stuff upstairs, he's just trying to figure out how he can capitalize off of it. It seriously cracked me up when he found the next hidden door and he's just measuring anything. He's like, oh shit. Like, <laughs> I could only imagine if you just found out that your house had tons of extra space. That would be super cool. Not in this fashion where it looks like just crazy tunnels. That's terrifying. After AJ journeys deeper into the tunnels and then he sees the nursing video and then he gets trapped with Tess and then gets breastfed. And then we also see the baby bottle with all the hair. Oh, we see a flashback from the guy who owns the house. And I was confused about the time period for a couple reasons. So it looks like the 60s. They're filming with the square format like it's shot on an old film camera. And also I Googled when the exodus of Detroit was and it said 1967. But when he starts up the car, the song Heat of the Moment turns on, which was made in 87 or 86. So I don't really understand that. I get confused there. I wish I had some clarity on that or could watch it again and maybe something would stand out to me. So Tess ends up escaping the house and she goes and gets help from the police. But of course, she looks like a crackhead or something. She's got no idea on her. She's all messed up. She doesn't know how long she's been gone. And these cops are probably so jaded from everything that they have been going through. And I feel like what happens with them not helping her is more of a commentary on Detroit rather than it is the police. My reason being is because they didn't have enough officers in the beginning to send someone out to help her. And then they get called off to a shots fired thing, which obviously is taking precedence over what she's got going on there. So they're just no help because Detroit and that area specifically was just so riddled with crime. So AJ ends up finding that owner of the house that we saw from the earlier time period and he's just on bed rest in there. But then he sees all the tapes of the women that he has killed. And it's interesting because it seems like AJ is being forced to confront the evil that is in him because they both are victimizing women. But at the same time, AJ is the kind of person who is probably just so worried about self-preservation that he's probably just thinking, this dude's way worse than me. I I'm not even bad. And so that's more than likely how he's interpreting all that. Now, this I thought was dope and could easily be a giant coincidence. But one of the names of the tapes of the women was Tanya. And Eminem, 
in his relapse album has a song called Tanya and it's all about him abducting her and I believe murdering her too. But that entire album, he kind of raps like he's Buffalo Bill. So serial killer. And as I was writing down those notes, I also realized that this movie is set in Detroit. That's where Eminem's from. But I think that was a cool element to add. So after that man kills himself and AJ takes a gun, I started writing down, is AJ going to harm another woman and kill Tess? And as I am dotting my question mark, he shoots Tess. And I'm just like, ah, you bastard. You bastard. So they end up escaping and getting saved by the man who takes him to the water tower, briefly saved because he ends up getting his arm off and beaten to death, which is just so gnarly. But before that happens, he starts talking about how that woman who lives under that house is basically the daughter of the daughter of the daughter of that man who lives there, which makes it sound like that dude was reproducing with some of the girls that he would abduct and kill and then maybe incestually reproducing with that offspring. But then also I just get confused again about the time period. Like how old was this dude? He already looked old back then. Could he really have that much life in him to have a kid and then have a kid with that kid? That's a lot of years. So this was the only part that I wish they shot differently in this movie. When they get up to the top of the water tower and AJ makes the choice to throw Tess off as bait, they follow Tess to the ground, the camera, you know, falling with her. And then when the freaky woman jumps off, you see her leap over and it looks super goofy. And I think what would have been better and just to keep with the realism of the movie and you don't even have to throw in any... CG or VFX, depending how they did that shot. Just have them run off the edge and disappear. You don't need to show them, like they could seriously be disappearing onto a mat that's like five or six feet below. And that's an easy solution. That doesn't take you out of the movie because you're like, whoa, that, that was jarring. I mean, people literally laughed in the theater when they saw the woman leaping off. It looked weird. So Tess ends up surviving and it looks like, but I don't think was officially confirmed that she shoots that woman who was keeping her captive down below. Would have been interesting if she just kind of double tapped AJ and left that woman alive, but there's no way that woman would let her child just wander off like that. So I was discussing with my wife the title of this movie, Barbarian. Like, why would they call it Barbarian? And we're thinking that it's just because of the man who owned the house before, how he is basically raping, murdering, pillaging, kind of like a barbarian would, and he's technically now living on land that's not even his. So that's kind of interesting. Now today is the release date of Barbarian, and Rotten Tomatoes, the critics have given it 94%, and the audience have given it 79%. And where I stand, I'm a 9.5 out of 10. I love the fact that Keith wasn't actually the bad guy. I also like the addition of AJ because of the little bit of comedic relief that he brought, as well as the internal battle that you go through as a viewer where you keep rooting for him and then not rooting for him. And for his ending, which was nothing short of poetic justice. My only two complaints are, I wish the time period was cleared up a little bit during that flashback. And also I wish there was just a little bit more symbolism and deeper meaning to it. They don't need it by any means, but I would have enjoyed it. Overall, I highly recommend this movie. That's all I have for you guys today on the movie Barbarian. Let me know down in the comments what you thought of this movie. If you like this podcast, leave me a thumbs up and then don't forget to subscribe if you haven't already, and I'll see you in the next one.